We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. What we are very proud of now is that we penetrate the cabinets. Seriously, I'm, I'm making a serious point. I don't know what half of them are protesting against. We've still got Fauci walking around free. The man should be in irons in the darkest pit. As much as he touts that he cares about it, he doesn't. This is our revolution. It's not theirs. Don't let them take it from you. Don't let them convince you that it's their revolution when in fact it's not. It's ours. And we will have it. It is Monday, the 11th day of April, the year of our Lord 2022. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams, and we have a very special guest joining us today. Uh, actually, two very special guests joining us today, but we're going to speak to one of our guests first, and that is Mike. Mike, it's been a while since you've been on. How are you? I am well. Thank you for having me, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Looking forward to, uh, to talking to you here in just a moment. Bruce, how are you today? Healthy and alive, as usual. Yeah. I'm looking forward to uh, hearing what the two of them have to say. Uh, yeah, as am I, as am I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm actually happy that we've got two guests on today, which means you and I don't have to talk. We can talk the rest of the week. <laughs> we've actually only got one day this week. Where we're going to have to talk because we're going to be talking to Ned tomorrow. And then we've got our usual Wednesday and then we've got Marty on Thursday. So yeah, we're, we're going to be good uh, all the way around. So we don't have to, we don't have to spend too much time, but anyway, um, I'm, I'm already taking to taking up too much time. Mike, it's been a long time since you've been on. It's good to have you back. Uh, we've picked up a lot of new listeners since you last were on. And I want you to tell people basically what you do for a profession. And I want you to give kind of an overview of how that affects them each day and how how what you do affects everything that we're seeing with this COVID agenda, because you're literally on the front lines of this. You've been on the front lines of this since this started, and you were one of the first people to call it out and say that it was a complete sham. So let's just start from the top, uh, just like you did the first time you were on. Tell people what you do, and let's get into the conversation that's going to educate people that don't know who you are. Okay, sure. Well, thanks again. It's, um, you know, I tell you guys, this is therapy for me, and it truly is. I, I listen to you guys often. And, um, you know, I just, the truth needs to be spoken and, and it's, it's a rarity to find people that can actually separate themselves enough to really investigate something on their own. Uh, and I think we were discussing this earlier about get along, go along or go along, get along. This ideology of just go with the sheep. So what I do, I, I digress, I, I apologize. Uh, what I do for a living is I, I own my own company here in New England. I reduce the microbial load for customers that suffer from mold exposure in an indoor environment. They usually have underlying illnesses like ALS, cancer, early onset dementia, Alzheimer's, PANS, PANDAS, Lyme disease, you name it, NIS, seen pretty much all of it. <clears throat> and they're very ill. And they will see their doctor and they'll do some blood testing for biotoxins. And they want to find out if they're bloodborne, I mean, if they're foodborne or if they're environment. If they are environmental, um, they will request or, or recommend to the homeowner to have their home tested by a microbial consultant. That consultant will go in and do some testing. And I am one of the remediators. It gets to go in and try to help these people improve their indoor environment. Uh, our, our microbial load is fungi at 0.03 microns or larger. I have special mechanics that I use in chemistry and science to accomplish my job. More importantly, that I don't cross-contaminate because I'm in people's homes and I will tear apart half their living room. The other half needs to stay in pristine condition. 
So there's a lot of uh, engineered controls and manipulation using mechanics. One of the mechanics I use is an AFD, which is an air filtration device. And it's HEPA rated, which is high efficiency particulate air, which is a rating system that we use to measure uh, the level of, of capture of a particulate load as it's passing a medium. So this happens to be a large, uh, you can large vacuum blower that's exhausting air and it's attracting uh, an airflow through it. And we can capture a microbial load at 0.03 microns or larger. What we can't capture, though, with these large machines is what we call normal ecology. That is 0.02 gram negative and gram positive bacteria and 0.01 viruses. So when they insisted that we lock down and start protecting ourselves wearing a mask, I really had to question everything that was happening because none of it made sense to me. None of it did. For one, what I've been taught is that we call it normal ecology because there's nothing that we can do about it. We have, I, I think, 800 or 1,000 different bacteria on our skin, you know, 300 in our mouth, 800 in our gut. I mean, we are one macro organism, right? Uh, full of viral and uh, bacterial load in, in and of ourselves. So really for you to stop something like this, if a viral load, which could fly around and come get you six feet away, if that can even happen... Uh, and it was as dangerous as it was, we'd all be dead because there'd be nothing that could stop it. Certainly not a cloth mask. So then I just saw BS after BS where things just got turned upside down on its head. And every type of science that I still use today and was using back then was telling me something different. So now this large air scrubber could actually capture viruses. Well, man, I'm in the wrong business because if I can capture something smaller, I can make more money. My thinking, right? I think what, dis- you know, and, I, and I'll get a little side note. It was, it's, it's been a sham and disgusting to see my industry, mediators, buying into this and, and trying to give people some type of comfort, telling them that they can fog a common area and kill this thing. So the simple question I ask is, okay, what are we trying to kill? Oh, we're going to try to kill a viral load. Okay, so the viral load might be in there. Where did that viral load come from? Human. Okay, so you're going to spray this stuff and then everybody can go back in immediately thereafter. We are the ones transmitting this. We're the ones that are, if, if this can happen, it's going to come out of us and we're going to, you know, uh, cross-contaminate that environment as soon as one human goes. So what are we trying to accomplish other than to get money in light of the people? I've seen it on both sides and it's friggin' disgusting. That's me. You know, I, uh, I remember when you first reached out to us and you were telling us that, I, I believe you sent this to me in an email, uh, the very first one, and you said that where you guys are going, uh, what road you're going down, he says, but this is all nonsense, everything that's going on. And then you told me what you did. And uh, at that time, uh, Bruce and I and uh, Bruce and I started to look into who you were. And I said, you know what? I said, we need to get this guy on to start talking about air quality and start talking about these masks. And I'm I, I'm seeing this even now where I'm at. I'm in a unique position where I am. I'm outside the U.S. And so we're getting a completely different agenda here. Albeit you guys, to be fair, you guys in in Massachusetts, you're getting quite a bit of the same agenda there. I mean, the the, the restrictions, the masking, the lockdowns, everything, you know, the COVID passports, all that stuff is is there, too. And it's been removed and some's been brought back and things like that. So. What I, one thing that I found that was that was fascinating to me is, yes, we've been talking for better part of two years now about how 
this has psychologically affected people, as in how they've been put into this state of just, I, I think you said it earlier, cognitive dissonance. That, that's what it's been. And so their perception has been completely altered by uh, things like social media and the mainstream media and things like that. And people just buy into that. Guys like Fauci and, and the rest of these morons like the CDC director and all that stuff that come out. I mean, hell, we played a clip of the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky. We played a clip of her last week saying that uh, from a year ago saying that, oh, anybody that has one of these vaccines, they're going to be 100% protected. And now all of that data is now coming out It's and they're not able to cover it up. They're not able to hide it anymore. And now they've gone back on all that stuff. And of course, you got Fauci out now saying that, uh, well, you know, we're probably going to have to bring a lot of these restrictions back. We're, we're just going to have to do it. But what's been done to people where I am, they lifted all of the mask things in, in building and in, like indoor mask stuff and all that stuff where I am. They lifted all that. But the amount of people that I still see in a store or in a shop or out on the street or in a car alone wearing a mask, you know, the ones that have, I think you even made a joke about it one time, the people that wear them on their sleeve or they have it on their, uh, their rear view mirror of their car, you know, they're driving around, yeah, I'm saving the world, you know, kind of stuff. The amount of people that still wear them. I was in a shop the other day and it was myself and I think five others, a couple of store workers. And these people looked at us like we were carrying, I, I don't know, the bubonic plague or something. Uh, and they would go out of their way to avoid us. And the, the look of sheer terror in their eyes, even if they're wearing a mask, you can still see the look in somebody's eyes. You can still tell what's going through somebody's head just by the look on their uh, look in their eyes. You can't really say their face, but the look in their eyes. And these people look genuinely terrified. And, and in reality, I just want to stop and just calmly walk up to these people and just explain to them, do you understand that these things don't work? Does that register in your head? And that's not an untrue statement, is it, sir? No, it is not. What's scary is seeing the, these young, healthy adults that I see as well here in New England, still wearing a mask by themselves in a car. I just, A, I don't get it. Two, I, I know the science behind it. It just, mechanically, it's it, it, the efficacy is just not there. It will never be there. I think you might be able to capture 0.5 microns or larger, which would be an allergen if you're lucky. Um, but I, I saw a great meme. Uh, you're, you're just as well grab a, a grocery cart and go fill it with sand. <laughs> try to bring it back to you. Try to, I've heard of try that, to bring, yeah. bring it back to your Chain house. Link fence so, to stop mosquitoes or something, yeah. Man, it, it is truly a mass psychosis that um, through 60-second TikTok news feeds is where we... Most people get their young adults get their newsfeed today is through TikTok and what other people are saying. You know what I said, go along, get along. I don't want to try to think of anything different because that it would take an effort and also separation. I don't want to be separated. I, I like community. That's what they're thinking, right? You know, I, I like my friends. I don't want to be an outcast. No, it's and it's and I think you've, you've men spoken about about this in the past, that there's going to come a time when it's going to be too late. You know, there's going to be a turn of events and it's just going to be too late. I hope we don't get to that point where it's too late, but they just don't stop and they haven't stopped. You know, I thought, I thought COVID was done once World War III started. I thought, this is great. COVID's gone. The flu is back. They even had flu cases. I was like, this is great. And now we got some, I don't know, going to talk to Marty about whatever they're creating over there because now they have some new virus over there, new variant now and COVID XE. Yeah. So just extra strength XE. I guess, I guess I'm not sure. Extra extraordinary. That's what they're saying. That's what they're saying because they're, they're claiming this uh, new variant causes blood clots at a higher rate than the previous ones. 
Oh. And I was just kind of like, oh, really? You mean like the vaccine does? Like, right. interesting. Okay. Like, like two of my roommates who have both two separate roommates from two separate places have uh, been fully vaccinated and fully boosted. Uh, one was working at uh, Walmart for over 12 years, making a significant amount of money. They were treating him well. He had a massive stroke. Doesn't work anymore. And uh, my other room, my, I actually watched my other roommate start to seize out because he started to have um, a stroke right there on the couch. We had to dial 911. But what's, what's even scarier is that he went and got his fourth booster just recently. Oh it's just God. insane to me. Yeah, it's, oh. it's ludicrous. One time, I, I want to give a shout out. There have been multiple people. I don't, I'm not going to give out names, but I've met a few people who have lost their jobs, uh, who are correction officers, sergeants at, in, in Massachusetts, who have lost their jobs and are now plumbing apprentices today. And I just, I would do anything for those type of men that need help. Like, uh, very proud of them. Very, very proud. Because uh, five kids, big Christian family. Uh, they actually have an adopted child uh, that's 17 and a, and a newborn infant that they, they're trying to adopt. So they're very faith-based, loving family. And uh, just have a lot of respect. Anyways, I've, I've met a, a lot of people that have gone through this because of this friggin' therapeutic. And I hate the fact that they call it a vaccine. It's like, I, I want to throw something at my TV every time they say, well, the vaccine. It's not a vaccine. Go take a Tylenol. Go, go take Theraflu. Same damn thing. Except for you have genetically modified your DNA. You use what? Casper's 9. I think you guys know more about this than I do. Or that Cyst 9, whatever it's called, where they cut your helix and inject that protein. I mean, does that CRISPR. sound normal? Yeah. Does that sound normal? CRISPR, thank you. Does that sound normal to you? Like, that is like, to me, that's human programming. 101. So, anyways, I off on a tangent. <clears throat> I'll sit back for a I, I agree. And the other question I have with all of this, because um, we're, we're kind of talking about the psychological side of things a, a little bit and, and, you know, kind of the crazy. But I'm also curious what this is doing to the scientific side of things, you know, how science has essentially capitulated to the idea that the masks are, the, you know, the saving grace or this vaccine is the saving grace when all the data they're ignoring all the data. Like, what is this going to do to the future of science, medical science, all of that? Like, are, are people still like following science or is this just political science now? Well, let's go to let's talk about OSHA. So like OSHA sets the standards for my masks. Like I have to go get fit tested to make sure that I'm not going to have a heart attack while I wear a respirator. <laughs> so and can you tell what us, that respirator. Can you tell us what and I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interject here, but can, can you tell us specifically which one you wear and what it's rated for and what it does as compared to what everybody else is being told is effective? Yes, I wear a P100, which is 99.97 capture point. So fungi at 0 0.03 and larger. That's on a half face. So uh, once again, even with that, I can't capture normal ecology, which is bacteria and viruses. So that is my respirator that I use to protect my lungs from a fungal load. That's it. That's all I can. I do have some gas cartridges for when I'm using sodium hypochlorite or hydrogen peroxide. We use really high percentages of that. So I have a gas cartridge along with a P100. That would not stop with a full face respirator. And so I get test fitted. OSHA sets standards to tell us how long we can wear these filters in our environment to capture fungi. So you understand, it's, it, it, like you said, like that point, like what is it going to do to our science? Like you're if this was true, then the whole thing has been undermined and nobody is looking at that. I think people are looking at money, like my industry, particularly, they, they're seeing a cash cow right now. People are in fear and they're making a ton of money. So why speak the truth? It's easier just to let to let the lie go and make money. Uh, just a, There's just a lot. Uh, 
are you are you comfortable are you comfortable telling us about without getting too personal are you comfortable telling us about because we're talking about science we're talking about uh, masks effectiveness vaccines and everything and this agenda are you comfortable telling us about your latest experience going in to see your doctor yeah yeah so I I, I see I was seeing a doctor uh, just a primary care doctor and uh, I had to wear my mask so I had it below my nose and I'm just flipping through and this is a your regular insured general practitioner right here, local in town, you know, fuel. Actually, they're actually well-known. There's, they have a few places. So I'm sitting there waiting, reading the news, some news feeds on my phone, and my doctor comes in, and she is wearing an N95, then a doctor's mask, the real cheap plastic, you know, felt ones there. Uh, she's wearing a set of goggles, and then a full face shield. And she goes, Michael, you need to pull that up over your nose. I said, okay. I said, is all of that necessary for this? I thought COVID was like over. <laughs> Like, thought we were kind of moved past all of this. She was, can I ask you a question? Have you been uh, vaccinated yet? I said, no, absolutely not. I have an immune system, T cells. I can build that up, take it right on. There's therapeutics that I can take, vitamin C, get out the sun, exercise, drink water, all that jazz, turkey tail tinctures. I didn't, I didn't say that at all to her, but I, is that necessary? Have you been vaccinated? No, no, I'm not getting vaccinated. Michael, are you a COVID denier? What? Yes, I am. I threw my mask. I said, you're fired. I don't know why you even come in to see these people. Yearly checkup for and I'm going to have to do it again because to get for my, for my medical card and to get test fitted, I have to do that every year. What's ironic in that? Does she not realize what this is a doctor job is? Yeah, yeah. I well, I I could give a little bit of leeway because that's not their profession to know the efficacy of the masks and everything. I can give a little leeway to saying okay, they didn't really know, but at the same time, I I can't because you have to know those kind of things. When it comes to viruses and all that kind of stuff, like you, you have to know the efficacy of those. And yeah. everybody that I've talked to that's in the medical industry knows uh, they, they have a general idea of, well, yeah, this will this basically just stops, you know, uh, spittle. That's basically all it stops, you know, or, or the, the, the surgical masks things, you know. So here's the truth. If when it comes to the influenza virus or this new COVID-19, which I, I firmly believe they... Corona being the crown, it's really engineered because the thing was too perfect. But um, with your normal influenza virus, I, I don't believe ever that this thing could fly out and live for any amount of time, let alone six up to six feet. Um, but let's say it can. Let's just say it can. And you do sneeze. Do we understand how small these are? How many would be in that sneeze if we could let it out? So we sneeze into that mask, which would catch some of it, sure but it wouldn't catch the other million that came out. It might catch 10%, but we're talking very small. And um, yeah, it, it just it just wouldn't work. It just will never work. The, the, the other question I have in that is, um, GP might ans- be able to answer it a little better too, but my understanding is COVID uh, resides in the, the nasal passage first before you actually catch COVID. So if you're wearing a mask, you happen to have it in your nasal passage, you're wearing a mask, you sneeze or cough or whatever, and the particulate cannot be expelled from your body properly. Now you're just re-inhaling it and just increasing the viral load, letting it, you know, cycle back in. I believe that those PCR tests were crap to begin with and that we hold the viral load in our nostrils all the time because that's what our nose hairs are there for. They actually have, they're actually um, have a positive or a negative charge to attract these things and to kill them right where they are. Uh, we are, we have, you know, the reason why they don't rip out your tonsils anymore. It's a strip of bacteria that prevents viruses from entering your body. Bacteria it doesn't stop them all. These are all just preventive measures. And then we got to think, I can go on a tangent about this, but once a viral load is out into the atmosphere, oxygen levels are 
completely different. I want to know actually how long can something like that live when all it knows how to do is replicate itself in blood the last time I checked. But according to the PCR test, these nose cavities, you know, it's all up in here because this is where we're finding it. Shoving everybody, you know, the Q-tips up people's nose and we jack up the PCR test and you will find something every single time. To the point, Bruce, that I have dealt with customers who have hired specialists that run PCR testing to find endotoxins, uh, any type of mycotoxin, right? And so there was one uh, family I felt horrible for. I actually cleaned their HVAC system twice for free because I felt so bad. I went there multiple times. They had a small flood. Their father is very ill, and I can understand the, the anxiousness there. And it's a respiratory infection that he has, the illness that he has. So they want to make sure that the environment's percent. And they paid for this team to fly out from Colorado that did some swabs, flew back to Colorado, used their PCR test, found out that it was a certain endotoxin. I have the, actually I have the report right here in my drawer. I could actually pull it out. It's, it's, it blows my mind. So I get the, the, endo, the mycotoxin report. So I start looking up and finding out what these toxins, where they come from, right? Are they environmental? Are they from outside? So one of them was yeast-based. And I go, oh, well, the only one that they found was yeast-based. And I go, okay, well, where do you find that? And I go, oh, that comes from dog shit. That's great. So you mean to tell me that somebody stepped in dog pooped and walked in your house and you just spent $8,000 and them to tell you to clean your ductwork, fog, and then put in some new mechanics and change the filter. It's a complete sham because that is normal ecology. Those toxins can be there, are there in and of every day. Just because we can see them doesn't mean they don't belong there, right? It's once again, it's normal ecology. Yeah. And then in all of that, uh, typically you're exposed to that kind of stuff anyway. Like as, mm-hmm. as an example, as a kid, you know, playing around as a kid, you're playing in the dirt. You're exposed to who knows what kind of bacteria and stuff that's in the dirt. And it, it helps you build your immune system, you know, and I understand the concern, like like you were saying, they're already sick. So, you know, the, I, I can understand, you know, being concerned about it, especially if you don't know any of the information, you know, if you don't know any better. But the, sure. the fact that the, the businesses are just exploiting this and they're just yeah. it's the same as the vaccine companies. They made something like 30 or 40 billion within a few months just chilling this this vaccine 10 times more than they had made before. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a problem. Yeah, we made what five billionaires, six billionaires, something, something like that over two yeah. years. Yeah, oh, printed seventy percent of our money for years. Our, our national debt. Yeah, we're, we're rock stars, man. A million people on our southern border. Come. Any, I, I watched a little episode with Heavy D. I try to watch Dia Santanos from time to time when I can. And talking about the mask wearing, you know, he gets up there and it was one. It, it, the, the left went ballistic about it because he told all the kids, he's like, take them things off. Enough virtual signaling. They don't do crap anyways. And I was like, yeah. Get them heavy D. Tell them, to speak the truth, man. Speak the truth. That's, that's the way it is, though. And what's funny, uh, when when uh, DeSantis was out there doing that, right? And he was in, um, uh, he, he did that. Uh, the high school kid, there was a high school kid there that had previously been interviewed by the local news. And the mom was going ballistic because, you know, they're... Uh, how dare they like not, you know, mandate masks and all this kind of stuff or, or you know, tell, telling the kids uh, her son was one of the ones that took the mask off and was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's just it, it's, it's just this, this whole thing is just a sham. If we weren't in the middle of this, it would be funny. Right. It, it would be. It's almost like a Saturday night, a Saturday night live skit. And I'm, I'm referencing the sainted Dr. Anthony Fauci when he was up there. You know, well, sometimes, you know, three masks on there. It's like he's putting on, I'm like, 
at what point do do people for masks? Okay, sorry. At what point do people really sit back and go, yeah, this even makes sense? But here we are. I, I think they've they've made uh, money more accessible through these COVID uh, payments to help uh, families. So if you're influencing them with something that they don't understand with fear saying you, you need to hide in your house and then we're going to give you money. What better way than to get on their side of the fence and, and not question anything. I mean, they, this is, they did, they knew what they were doing to really redirect this into the direction that they're trying to, to go. And, um, Hey, keep speaking the truth. And, you know, well, you know, I've, I actually had one customer just recently. No, uh, I, every customer that I have met since the beginning of this pandemic, I've had the opportunity to explain to them what I can do, what I can and can't control. And I get very specific when it comes to the mechanics, my containment, because I'm actually in their house, right? And I actually had one customer look at me with her mask on. And she went, Michael, we're f-. And I said, what? I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you're telling me these don't work. I said, no. She was like, I said, hold on. We're two years into this. I said, have you had your, did you get the vaccines? Yes. I said, okay. So you have a level of protection there. And I said, obviously that you train and you work out. I see you running every morning. And I said, there's also other therapeutics that you can be taking and really sugar. So um, and I, when it first, when this first happened, you know, it really, it really uh, took her for a loop. I think her, her husband was more on board with it. And when I was speaking with him, he kind of nudged his wife and said, Hey, you should talk to him about his, his mechanics inside of her house. So it blew her away, but I've I've had that happen. I've had customers in tears, literally in tears, because what they're seeing on their television, what I just explained to them, didn't line up. But yet you're going to hire me at a very high cost. This stuff is not cheap to help maintain a better environment indoors. So um, it's kind of hard to deny that, as when you're standing in front of somebody saying, "Hey, this is what I have for mechanics, science, chemistry, and this is what I can and can't do." Take it from take it from there, you know. So I've had people in tears, like, oh, my God, thank you, Michael, for telling me. Oh, I'll tell you that. Tell everybody. You know, this this environment that they've created for everybody, it's now it's now become their new reality. As much as uh, we hate to see that, but it it would almost be uh, I, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's wrong to say it would be too much to shatter that, but it would literally be like that to them. It would be shattering their reality if you if you had a media or uh, a social media or whatever, if everything suddenly reversed and started going back the other way, these people would be devastated because everything that they've been led to believe now has been a lie and they haven't come to that realization, but it would be brought to the realization whether they wanted to see it or not. And it would devastate them. It would absolutely devastate them because here's the same people that told them in the beginning that if you do all of this, you'll be safe. But now if you ignore everything that we said, oh, and by the way, um, that vaccine that you took, yeah, we're, we're not sure exactly what that's going to do to you. But if you if you make your bed, that could kill you. If you sleep on a hot night, that could kill you. Like this, this is where it's at now. The, the mainstream press in the UK are saying, if you hear a whistle being blown, it can give you a heart attack and kill you. I mean, I, I don't know if I, I know you probably don't follow this and I, I don't think any of us do here either, but you probably don't follow professional tennis. And I don't know if you heard me talking about this earlier in the week, last week. I mean, world-class tennis players, guys like Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer and these guys, the, these people that are at the top of their game, you at least understand the game of professional tennis or excuse me, tennis at the professional level and how much these people have to be in shape. These are world-class athletes 
last weekend, so a week ago today, last weekend in Florida, they had one of their tournaments down there. Rafael Nadal, the world's number four, had to retire for a second time. He retired two weeks before that, had to retire for a second time from chest pains, collapsed on the court. Not only that, 15 other professional tennis players had to throw in the towel. They could not compete because they were having chest pains. Does this, like, this is, this is where people are at, man. They're not even, they're not even able to, to make the two and two connection here. And you, I mean, what else can it be? You have to be, if you're one of these tennis players, you have to be jabbed because you have to get it to travel. And that's the whole thing that was going on with, uh, what's his name? Djokovic down there in Australia. They were, um, they were tying him up with that. Uh, and put him in the, the detention center or whatever it was. I don't know if you heard about that or not, but to suddenly reverse everything, I don't think that even the system, I don't think they could they could jam themselves up like that. But to suddenly reverse everything and then come back now and and admit, oh, yeah, by the way, all this is going to do is uh, it's going to cost this, this and this. Uh, and it could kill you. They can't do that. That's a thing that they just can't afford to do. So I don't know if you heard about the tennis players or not, but that's that's where we are is is right there. No, I, I actually live in the United States and didn't hear anything about that, probably because they didn't want us to know about it. Um, I did I did do some reading on the Australian Open and that player that was allowed, but then not allowed, and he wasn't allowed to play because he would take the jab, uh, <clears throat> the death jab. Yeah, I don't, I tell you, therapeutic, we were discussing it earlier, how it actually operates and the efficacy of it, I think is up to 10 weeks. All that this booster or these jabs would give you, 10 weeks, man, and 10 weeks of what? Um, Two I think weeks a, for the I, most recent. I think it, there's a far better way. I, for me, as being a believer, I, you know, Christ Jesus is the way, and God is my provision. Uh, he, they didn't make, you know, God didn't make a mistake when uh, uh, He designed me. He didn't. I have an immune system that is amazing. That we don't even understand. They call it the second brain. I mean, our own top scientists don't even understand. But yet, we think that we can come up with these manufactured synthetic vaccines think that we're going to do some type of bioengineering skill set or some some benefit to it. It's, it's disgusting for me personally. I, I'm, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I, I spent four years in the army. I had to get all that crap. I got them when I was younger. But I tell you, my youngest child has none. He's two years old, has zero. I, I didn't even want him to give the, the vitamin K shot they give him for, for clotting. You know, uh, I wanted to come back on the eighth day and have them circumcise him because on the eighth day, at the head is the most vitamin K, which is the clotter. And that's when you're supposed to perform the procedure. That's why it's in the Bible. <laughs> but we like to fast forward it all. We want to get it all done in the three days that you're there. And we don't want to pay for your next trip back here. And that costs money. No, 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 no. We just fast forward it because it's convenience. Convenience kills. I know that. Things that you work hard for have benefit. We do have another guest that we want to get to. But is before we get to that, is there anything else that you want to uh, you want to touch on before you go? Uh, because we don't get you we don't get to hear that often. And of course, Mike, you're welcome back here anytime. All you have to do is let me know. I mean, I, I think I had to hound you. I've been after you for a couple of months now to get you back on this time. So uh, I know you're a busy guy. Uh, I, I know you're awful busy, but uh, it's always great to have you on whenever you get the opportunity. I love it. Like I said, it's, it's therapy to me. I, you know, this next gentleman that's getting on, I, uh, I just have this unique ability to, well, I shouldn't say unique. I think all of us have people that speak our language, right, uh, have an ability to, to find others that also speak that same language because there's so much of the normal electrons out there with all their negativity and all the, you know, did you get this? And are you taking this? And why aren't you wearing a mask? And Michael, are you going to, you know, no, no, no. I like to talk to people that go, oh, hey, I kind of think differently about this. 
we're all still here. We're all still alive. Like, you know, a lot of us are, are unvaccinated that I know of. So um, this next gentleman's pretty impressive kid. So I have nothing more to say. Ravel, would you like to sit down? Absolutely. Oh, I am ready. Thanks for coming on, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Hi, guys. It is so good to see you. It's good to have good you on, uh, Pavel. How are you? It's good to see you. I'm well. I am well, and I am excited to get this on and going. Okay. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So we're not under any time constraints here uh, or anything like that. So don't feel like you're you're pressured to get something in at, at a certain period of time or anything like that. We're going to just start from the top. We're going to start with tell people who you are. And uh, obviously, your name's Pavel. <laughs> but uh, tell people where you come from. Obviously, you're uh, you're you're in America now. Uh, but tell people where you come from originally. And I want to get into whatever you're comfortable with uh, with with discussing. More specifically, I would like to uh, I'd like to talk about what's going on in Eastern Europe right now because uh, I know that uh, there's a lot that's going on over there that you have uh, a lot of insight on, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners that are in that part of the world would love to hear your take on things. So uh, let's just start with the beginning. Tell people who you are. Okay, well I, I appreciate it. And I'm so excited to talk about this. So my name is Pavel. Um, I was born um, on outskirts of Moscow, Russia in the 80s, and I ended up growing up in that area um, through the 90s and kind of all over Europe. I have family um, in Ukraine from, you know, Donetsk region. I grew up partly in Belarus and I have a lot of family there. And uh, my mother, you know, it's with the technology, it's, it's rather easy to keep in touch with people on the ground over there. My mom has a lot of friends and what's happening What's really interesting right now, what makes me interested in all this is a lot of people are moving away from Ukraine, from the fighting and the violence. And they're in Belarus, where it's relatively safer, even though, you know, Lukashenko is a dictator that's been there for 20 plus years. But it is now better than what's going on in Ukraine. Let's let's start at the beginning of this, because all of this has been all of this has been kind of new, uh, especially to at least for for us Westerners. All of this has been kind of new. Uh, what's going on over there? I know that there's a long history that goes back over it goes way back over there. Let's start with what happened recently uh, and then we can see which direction it goes then. But when Vladimir Putin came out, made the statement that he was going to recognize the two regions of Donetsk and Luhansk and recognize them as legitimate governments and uh, sovereign territories. Of course, you had the issue down there with Crimea that's, that's gone back uh, and that whole region down there has gone, I guess, uh, it's kind of severed itself away from Ukraine over the last eight years. There's been conflict in that region for going on almost 10 years now. But when that happened, when Putin made that speech and then the next day, uh, or excuse me, 48 hours later, they went in. What was the first thing that went through your mind when you saw that happen? Good, finally. And this is why. Through global propaganda and, you know, the usual methods, a lot of people are unaware of the true nature of life that um, started to evolve, you know, in the 90s and, and, and after the fall of Soviet Union, um, formation of, you know, Ukraine becoming independent and that leaving, leading towards, the, you know, what you just asked me about, the Putin's actions. To state it simply... When I was growing up in Russia, going to Ukraine was an amazing experience. Like we couldn't wait to go to Ukraine. People came back with bags full of clothing and items that they could resell for profit in Belarus and Russia because Ukraine was a good place to be. That it, it, it was it was fine. As Ukrainian government was very very quickly overpowered by um, pretty much organized criminal syndicate that was largely part of you know 
big oil and gas industry in that area. So, you know, as in Russia, when Soviet Union collapsed, mob took over Russia. Same thing, you know, it's happened in Ukraine, except for the things got so worse that going to Ukraine no longer felt like a holiday. All of a sudden, we're seeing Ukrainians fleeing Ukraine, and then all these stories are coming out. The stories are coming about coming out about executions, stories about people being forced to change their family name, uh, forced to speak specific language, like the freedom of speech, which is a part of Ukrainian constitution, as far as I know, in you know some sort of way. You know, when they come to your house and they say, I don't care about your family name, I don't care about the language you speak, from now on, you know, you're not Pavel, now you're Mihailo, and you have to go with it. And I found out all about this, not through TV, YouTube, or whatever. My mom called me one day, and her hair, you know, was kind of standing up. I could see it on, on the screen, and that's how I found out about this stuff, and it happened a long time ago. And when Putin went in, I thought, good, I'm not for war. I do believe perhaps in small tactical conflict because there are terrorists and, you know, extreme insane people in the world, but war I don't believe in. However, when I see suffering in so many people and the stories of just this unbelievable violence for no other reason than forced nationalization, I was like, oh, here's Hitler again. And that's when it clicked to me. And that's why I'm not a fan of Putin. I'm not a really fan of any government, to be honest. However. Things that Putin does somewhat do have a good thing behind them in Ukraine. That's what I believe. The, the thing that, that we try to sift through here, because we, we do our best, I mean, just as average concerned citizens, that's all we consider ourselves to be, much like yourself. All we try to do is we try and find the correct information. That's all we want to do. Much like yourself, we, we just want we just want to find out what's going on. And having you on is going to give us and good and it's going to give our listeners that insight. So everything you have to say, we're just going to sit back and we're going to listen. And this is something that that I want to ask uh, because we've been seeing this. It's in the um, uh, well, it's it's not largely reported in the Western press, but it's in the Russian press. And as we started to see all of these sanctions, which I think is ridiculous. And I'm 100% with you on the I'm against war in all shapes and forms. I understand that there are certain conflicts that are necessary because you have to deal with terrorist cells. Of course, I'm 100% in agreement with you on that. But they banned the Russian press here in the West. It's very difficult to get information unless you know people or you know ways of getting information in and out of there. But we're seeing disinformation coming out of all sides. But one thing specifically that I want to ask is this claim that we're hearing about neo-Nazi battalions in Ukraine, most notably the Azov Battalion. Is that true? So I'm sorry, the specific name you... So first of all, yes, the Nazis, the battalions, it is all true. I'm not sure I understood the specific name okay. of the battalion you said. Okay. It's being reported as called the Azov Battalion. Are you not familiar with that one? Um, the, the thing is, I've heard a lot of terms. I'm not entirely familiar. See, the thing is, I the terms are very vague in my mind because it's different languages. And okay. I also kind of don't believe a lot of the things. However, okay. I do believe, I trust you that is, that is the correct name. It sure sounds right. But what you are saying, regardless of the name, is absolutely true. It's been happening for a long time. It's been escalating. It's been surprisingly easy to suppress. And I believe that is because of 
general American support. Now, if you look at the quick history of who United States supported, you know, and here I am saying alleged things, blah, blah, blah. But look who started, you know, Al-Qaeda, who, how come Russians lost in Afghanistan twice? Well, because they're fighting Humvees, right? Why did Russia almost get their butts kicked in Georgia? Oh, we weren't there. Um, here's a photograph for, you know, M15 or whatever next to Humvee. Everywhere that Russia goes, and we, we went in these places like Chechnya, Afghanistan, Georgia, not to kill people, not to take over land. I'm sure there's bad reasons for it. There's, everything is mixed. It's nothing black and white. But however, why would you support these, all these organizations later on come over and bite you in the butt? So what's happening in Ukraine is like they're beating a dead horse that they unburied, hung up, and just started beating it all over again. And I just, I feel like I'm either I'm crazy or most of the world is crazy. I don't understand how this is so hard to see. <laughs> I, I do apologize on the, the name of the, the outfit because I'm sure that there's probably many different factions, but let's just go for to, the sake. You want me to yeah, pull up ahead. a picture real quick? Yeah, I'm please, not uh, an encyclopedia. I, I don't no, I know everything. But uh, while, while Bruce is pulling that uh, that photo, so just speaking on on the terms of we'll just go because of the because of the, the the language difference here. Let's let's just go with the claim that we see that there are neo-Nazi factions within Ukraine. That you're saying that is true, and that is yes. I am very comfortable with the terms neo-Nazis and Nazis. Um, I am not entirely sure on the perfect definition of neo-Nazis because that there's so many different strains, but. I just kind of put them to be honest, and I feel this is fair under the just general umbrella term of Nazis, because I don't like to sugarcoat or like put extra, some things are just some things. And yes, what they do are Nazi tactics. They are forcibly nationalizing people, including their thoughts and their ability to cognitively understand each other because they're ripping, you know, almost genetic history of this ancient family by taking away their name, by taking away their right to speak the language that they prefer. And there are multiple witnesses in cases. And I'm talking about the past. I also know what's going on right now with all this. But in the past, there's so many cases of just like somebody didn't want to give away the land or whatever. A couple of, you know, unmarked vans pull up, unmarked men in ski masks, AK-47s. See you later, family. I have never heard of this ever in America, and that's what you know you're saying too. It's it's not in the media. I've got that image uh, here. This is their insignia. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, okay. So I know what you're saying. Yeah, see, I'm right. Okay, it makes sense. So I don't know. I guess my memory is a little bit selective. There's so much information that I can't remember everything. Yeah. But yes, that is familiar to me. Uh, well, it kind of looks like a swastika, doesn't it? I mean, right when you look at it. The, it actually. The, it yeah, actually, if you yeah, go by the obviously it's me. Yes, if you go by the uh, the historical aspect of it, it's they took the uh, they took they took the insignia of the SS Panzer Division and they just flipped it around. That's all they did. Yeah. Also, there's there's this thing. I'll, I'll draw it real quick and maybe you can describe it. There's another way to draw a swastika, which is like wavy, wavy. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. So literally, yeah. like. It's the it's like three lines that they connect with a lightning. I think the lightning kind of is they just stylize the same thing, and that's one of the reasons was why I'm so concerned because even here we are discussing. Yo, does this look like a swastika? Is this really it? It is. It's obvious. There. If you put a Hitler in a different outfit, it still is Hitler. So how come we're using words to shield things that are 
difficult. It's like cutting flesh of yourself because realizing that you truly are a part of the world or a society that supports horrible things is literally cutting a part of yourself. And that part of yourself that you're cutting off is the social programming that's been developed pretty much since World War II. It really kicked in. Like, for example, an average presidential speech currently which is so vetted. I mean, there's like eight people that, you know, it goes through before it gets to the president. It is aimed towards a seventh grade education level. 50 years ago was tailored towards high school graduates, 12th grade. 50 years, five grades. We are becoming dumber one grade every year on average. And that's just a presidential speech. You know, there's statistics and facts like that that are really cool by themselves. But when you see a hundred of them in a row, you just get scared. It's not comfortable anymore. That's what the cutting of the flesh part is. Because when you really look at the thing, the truth, you don't want to. It's uncomfortable. Only people that are comfortable living in crap are comfortable. Like, I don't care, man. I like living in the woods. If you've been eating shit your entire life, excuse my language, and you've never even seen ice cream, shit doesn't taste that bad. It's an interesting way of putting it. I'll have to remember that one. Um, Same ration with love. You think this is water? <laughs> <laughs> of course not. That has to be vodka. It has to be. It's the stereotype. Um, yes. I tell you what, let's, since you're in a laughing mood, I tell you what, let's, um, it is, so long as you're comfortable, um, sure. let's talk, let's talk about the, uh, the culture shock. Let, let's talk about the culture shock aspect of, let's compare what you what you experienced coming to America as compared to what you dealt with growing up in uh, in what was the Soviet Union and and of course it collapsed uh, when you were there as well. Uh, a lot of us that grew up here in the West we don't know uh, other than what we've read in in books and and things of former KGB defectors uh, guys like uh, Yuri Bezmenov I'm sure you've heard before gave interviews uh, back in the. Uh, back in the 80s. So un unless we read books, um, I've got the entire works of um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn called the Gulag Archipelago of his experience in the Red Army and everything that, that happened with him uh, while he was there. But you Horrible. saw, you you grew up yes. during the collapse yes. of the Soviet Union. Right, what was in that the, like? right, right, in the, right in the middle, right tanks. Yeah. So you want me to go? <laughs> Please go. It's all you. All you right, have I'll the floor. start with this. Excellent. Okay. So, oh man. Okay. So my first memory in life is uh, my father received an apartment, which was a two-bedroom apartment, which was unheard of. He was just in his early 30s, and I am between three and four years old. I'm shivering. So the whole room, you know, there's a carpet, there's a little couch, and the walls are cement, and the windows are still have holes in them, even though, even though it's a completed building. You know, when you move into... Uh, a Russian apartment at that time, when they assign you one, you spend a couple of weeks fixing it up so, you know, you can survive in it. And then if you buy a car, usually you got to fix it on the way before you get home. Um, that, that was the standard. So um, that, that's my first memory, shivering because I'm very sick. It's really cold. And my father is feeding me yogurt out of a tiny spoon. My next memory is I'm five years old and um, I'm outside my apartment. This is right before Soviet Union collapsed. Everybody lived in giant apartment buildings. You know, everything is about eight stories tall. Moscow is a giant metropolis. Um, I'm five years old and I'm on the playground. And my father says, listen, I'm going to go inside and you stay here. So as soon as he disappeared, me and my buddy, who was three, he was my ne the ne next door neighbor. We just booked it for the city. So first time I ran away into the city, I was five years old. By 12, I considered myself an adult because this is what happened next. So between five and seven, Soviet Union collapses, and my father, who he was a um, 
he was involved, you know, in the military and, and he was a higher up. He, he was a higher up in a uh, very specific, you know, scientific branches. So uh, he was a real a-hole. You know, he really was. I never got along with him and he treated my mom like crap. So when I was about five, right before everything went to poop in, in Russia, um, my dad just kind of bounced. So, you know, he said, listen, I'm leaving you a lot of money in the bank and here's some cash and you guys are going to be all right and I'll get a hold of you. So um, I, my next memory is I'm waving to my father and, he, and, I, and I don't see him anymore. A few days go by and um, people just became gray and it got really quiet. You know, it was really weird because the first time I went, so now I'm, I'm about six years old. I, I go outside and it's, it's just quiet, man. And it's just weird area. And then... Um, and then that night, I'm sitting with my mom in our building. We lived on the fourth floor. I think lights might have went out. Or maybe, no, we kept the lights off because we were just all terrified. And I remember the whole giant apartment building shaking because the tanks are going by, you know, where we lived. And they're going towards the Capitol building to just basically blow it all, all to shit. And that is the great conflict of the awesomest time of Russia. It is considered, and this is, we, I will keep the slide up and down because this is funny and it has to be funny because things that are not funny are tragic. So I'll keep it light. So the giant struggle between the military cabal, the mob, the old communist government, and the new kind of like up and coming people. Well, blood. And it started like this. The night where all the tanks went by, all the cash you had in your wallet, which my father left us a good amount, and also all the money you have in the bank, which my father left us a very decent amount, well, they became zero. So now, who pays the cops? No one. I mean, it's all of a sudden, it's an anarchy. What is the currency? Well, out of every window, the old babushkas, which means the grandma, all of a sudden you see a moonshining pipe pulling up. Moonshine became the new currency. Drugs, favors, violence, and a great time popped off. So my dad's gone. We have absolutely zero money. And, you know, everybody's like that. And I'm about to hit first grade. I'm now six, almost seven. I remember standing, you know, you, at, at about 5 a.m., if you're really lucky, it's still dark. It's cold as shit. You got to run. Mom's got to go to work. But you hold your place in line and you stand there till about 12 in hope that the milk wagon will show up and you'll get a little, you get a little jar of milk that day. Man, the only reason why Russians survived this hunger shit again is that everybody culturally so used to just going in the woods, man, and growing stuff. We all survived because every porch had like fish drying on it. You know what I mean? We survived because everybody had a tiny little piece of land that it was just protected viciously against everybody so you could grow crops, man. I know every plant, every mu mushroom in the woods. Because that's what we ate. My clothes was homemade. My kids around that age, it was a very common chore that nobody would ever even expect in America. This is great. So as kids, our job was to make toilet paper. So you walk around, you collect, you know, useless books or newspapers, and you cut them up into, you know, good-sized squares. And you crumble them up, and then you straighten them. Crumble them up, straighten them. And you do that 10 times, it becomes really soft. And you stalk them. That was our toilet paper. There was probably... You know, it's a large, large apartment building. So we're talking, I don't know, hundreds of people. There was one family that was rich because they were doctors. And finally, they got a phone. At this time in America, you guys are playing arcade video games, skateboarding, freaking eating popcorn, man. I saw an, an orange for the first time when I was nine. But 
I saw a phone when I was about to hit the first grade. So that was freaking awesome. Anyhow, so this is the fun begins. I go to school and I am happy. I am so happy. And I am still, I am, I was still considered an October child. When you go to junior high, you become an October child, which is the old communist term for a preschooler. Then you become a pioneer and then you become a comsomol. It's all just big indoctrination machine, which very carefully selects you in what directions. Who gets picked the most? Well, the biggest asshole that will sell his soul, excuse my language again, to the party. But I digress. So here's the fun part. So my first day of school, I go into school. So this building is grade one through five. So I walk in, burned metal doors, couple of giant, uh, some sort of soldiers with AKs regarding the school. You go inside and first thing I see is a couple of kids beating the shit out of each other. And the teacher's standing by and laughing. Just laughing, seeing who's going who's gonna to win. So I duck in the bathroom real quick. I'm in first grade and, you know, bathroom is full of kids. Smoke in the air. Everything's graffiti. Toilets are broken off, man. Everybody's drinking beer. They all got blades on them. Smoking cigarettes. This is preschool, I guess, or whatever. First, second, third grade. Um, I go into class and, you know, I survive the day. When I get home from school, I grab my boy, my, my best friend, who was my neighbor. So little digress. My father left. Our neighbors closest to our door in the apartment building, they had a boy that was uh, two years younger than me. His mom was my mom's best friend, and his father was actually, well, he's dead now, a prominent gangster. So that gentleman ended up raising me, and he was kind of a father figure in my life. So after school that day, I grabbed my little body, you know, and we went to the store. And, I mean, the little convenience stores were amazing. I went in and I bought a bottle of vodka. I'm seven years old. A switchblade and a candy bar. And then, man, I had that switchblade on me forever. At that time, I would like to compare it to like, kind of like that movie Gangs of New York. I mean, it wasn't that crazy because there were guns, so it wasn't like that much stabbing, but it was nuts. There were bodies everywhere. Um, School was incredibly tough. Getting in knife fights in first grade was not a big deal. And then one of the worst and best things that happened to me in my life in first grade happened is you know, this guy decided to smash my head in on a on this concrete floor, and I got um I got a TBI, I got damage in my frontal cortex, which led to like 20 years of suffering on and on with really bad cubital migraines, with cognitive degeneration, where I would lose reality, would peel off layer by layer, so I would slowly lose my ability to speak, forget my name, human language become just alien to me that I would turn into an animal. I would, wouldn't be able to, I don't know what objects were. I just remember who I am without any thought, which in retrospect gave me this artistic ability. And I don't know, this took 20 years to heal, but man, I sure feel like it works great now. So that's, um, that's how first grade started. Um, I'll fast forward. So I'm, I'm growing up in Belarus. I'm uh, partly my, my mother's side is in Belarus. And Ukraine is still, I mean, that is the time when Ukraine was awesome. You know, you could go there and you could actually come back with a bicycle and kids that would come back from Ukraine with actual soccer balls, they wouldn't be homemade. Things kept getting worse and worse in Russia. The gang wars were unbelievable. The military effed off because everything got sold off. You could pull up to any barracks, barracks, which they did. It's all true. You could. Um... I mean, there was no such thing as Russian money, really. But dollars? Oh, man, the, the, the power of the dollar. In America, people talk about, you know, about the money, capitalism, power of the dollar. You guys have never seen what it's like to give $20 bill to a starving, starving nation that's been suppressed for, you know, since, since early uh, 20th century when, when, the, when the Tsarists died. I mean, the power 
of the money that came from America was insane. You know, $20 bill, $200, you pull up to a barracks and you walk away with a couple of crates full of AK-47, a helicopter and, and a missile and a pilot for two days. And it sounds ridiculous and cartoonish, but it was all real. Organ harvesting was just rampant. You, you would go for a routine checkup and, and then you would just wake up after taking medicine or whatever. You wake up in some basement and they'll never find you and your organs um, would disappear. There's a famous story. This, this gentleman, he was, he was smiling on the front page of, I, I don't know what newspaper it was. It doesn't matter. But he had no teeth and bloody gums and his lips were all messed up. And it was just a shocking image. But w- when I started reading it, and I must be eight, nine years old. I feel like an adult when I look back at myself at that point. I really kind of, anyhow. And the story said that this guy, he went to a routine, his doctor, his doctor at a major hospital in Moscow. He went in for a routine checkup. The guy checked him, says, you're healthy, but, you know, your vitamins are deficient, whatever. Boom, here's a little shot. The guy woke up in the basement. Um, I believe it was off that hospital. Perhaps it was somewhere near it. I'm not sure, but it was a basement anyways. And the basement apparently was partly under construction. They screwed up. And the bars on the windows, they weren't metal. They were just thick wooden, you know, bars. So this guy was kept there, fed for a few days, and they were just about to, he understood that they were just about to go kill him and harvest his organs. He chewed over like night. He just chewed his way through this wooden, just in his mouth. But he escaped. He went right to the, I don't think he went to the cops. Maybe he did. Some cops were all right. But it came out, man, and it was a big thing. And that was one of the things that, scared Yeltsin. So this point of time, mob is completely, the military got sold out. So now the mob is in control of Moscow and major cities. There's giant crime wars. I mean, shots are going off left and right, man. If they say in those days, if you saw a young guy in a leather jacket or whatever, but as long as he had a duffel bag, 100% of there was an AK in there. You know, walking down the street, man, I've seen this. Cops couple of drunk cops will just stop stop you and ask you for your ID. And as you pull in and out, they'll just knock you out, beat the shit out of you, take your wallet, just pull you over, just, just beat the shit out of you, throw you in a ditch and take your car. I mean, we went to the mobsters because the gangs, every building had a little soiree and, you know, and, you know, a number of buildings that were facing each other, large apartment buildings. Well, that, that, was, a, that was our gang from our neighborhood. And all those gangs, we worked and we helped to the older people, there were adults that lived and actually lived, you know, as not, well, they were part of a bigger gang. And it was such a symbiosis because, you know, I remember a plumber would come to us and, and my mom would give him pain with a bottle of moonshine and this guy would be wasted, saying but he would fix our pipes and get the other bottle and pass out somewhere on his way out. Christmas was the best time ever. Oh, you think you guys, hmm. Well, they had this amazing service in those days. Now, let me digress for one second. At this point, I'm in second, third grade. My father calls my mom, and he actually appears, and he starts sending us a little bit of money. So we're living a little bit better. We got a TV finally. It didn't have a knob. We used pliers, but it was still cool, and I had four channels in black and white. Sweet. Do we still have time? Am I talking too long? There is no timer, sir. You take as much what? time as you want. The Why floor is yours. All right? The, the you, afternoon you is yours. This? You, you keep going. It, yes. Okay, awesome. I just want to make sure I'm not boring you. <laughs> It's Boy. just a lot that I'm trying to if you, <laughs> Do you know how, how we, you, you know how we grew up? You've, you've been in, in the States quite some time. You know how we grew up. Yeah. I mean, these, these times you're talking about at the same time, I can, I can recollect, and I'm sure Bruce can recollect, because we come from similar parts of the, of the country over there. Mm-hmm. This is nothing like what 
we would have experienced. I mean, this is like so far out. That it's Avatar. It's an alien world. It's yeah, reality. Yeah. It's reality. Now, look at it. How far away is reality from your memory? And I'm not saying that America wasn't reality at that time. It got way worse. But the majority of the world is a different planet. It's like, a, and it when is. you wake up for it, it's crazy feelings. Like your vision clears. I, I know being being outside of the U.S. as I am. I, I mean, I've had an opportunity to see well, different yes. different parts of the world. It is a it's an eye opening experience. Absolutely. I mean, I've been to poor countries. I've been to to rich countries. I've, I grew up and I, I was privileged enough to grow up in the United States. And I, I think one thing to to convey, because obviously our largest listenership is is in America, one thing to convey to people and please correct me if you believe that I'm wrong, but one thing to convey to people as you tell this story, which is absolutely fascinating, is you don't understand how precious things are. You you really take everything for granted, as in the, the people that are hearing this, they take everything for granted and they don't realize how fast it can all slip away. Man, taking things for granted. When they opened up first McDonald's in Moscow, man, that was the symbol of Yeltsin's revolution. Do I remember standing there for hours and hours and hours and hours in line and we woke up so early, but my mom stayed for six months so that I could get a taste of an American burger. And man, let me tell you, I've never seen a more beautiful place that smelled as good. And we we saved the bread. We ate it for three days, the two burgers that we could have avoid and I mean afford it. You know, we, we ate the sesame seeds. There was no food, man. You know, I remember I got my first soda can, two soda cans. It was uh, it was springtime. My birthday is in, is in the winter. You know, I slept with those cans for eight months to save them for my birthday, man. That's how poor we were. I mean, we had nothing, man, but we were happy. People were so kind, man. We were fighting for each other, man. The shit, man, you know. You don't see the shit. There were kids fighting for each other because we're all scared, but we had each other, man. I was feeling there in love. You'd work all day so you could get a bubble gum and somebody would get a lollipop and we'd sit around the fire, man. We're kids and everybody would get a little bite of that. You don't see that. I'm, I'm a grown ass man. You can shoot me and I wouldn't cry, but I'm crying like that. And I'm crying not because those times are sad. I'm crying because these times are sad. Because even though that was so violent and dirty and hungry, you could feel love. You really could, man. Like, I remember one time we were really hungry, man. And I don't know who came by. My mom, my mom opened that little bread basket, man. It was like a $20 bill in it. If it wasn't for that $20 bill, man, I don't know if I'd be here right now. That's how close we were, man. And I know what fear is. I know what it's like to be afraid to go outside every day because you could get shot or stabbed. As, and I'm 10 years old. That's my life. It's 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 just scary times and i'm sorry i digressed i got emotional i apologize no 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 you're fine you're, um, you're fine okay so yeah so let's get back to fun times okay so now i'm 19 years old um my mother's talking to my father again somehow he uh you know appeared in the picture um we flew out to or uh took a train to poland and i've met him kind of i didn't really remember him too well he turned out to be in real a-hole. So me and my mom would spend some time living in Belarus with my grandma. Now, at a time, we were in the city called uh, the Light City. At a time, it was the world's capital. And I'm not sure 100% this is a true claim, but it was the most HIV spready, like worse than Africa town in the world. Like we literally had Red Crosses, Red Cross tents outside the town. So we are kids and this is what we used for toys. Amazing. You'd go outside and you'd find a 
dead pigeon. Well, you want to try to find one that's like not too old. So you pull out the feathers and then anywhere you could find a used needle and then you steal a little bit of like this plastic gum off a building, you put it together, you have darts. We played with hypodermic needles. Thank God. But kids died left and right. Outside, you know, these towns are surrounded by woods full of old trenches and, and unexploded, you know, munitions. Kids died all the time. I'm saying all this just to show you the comparison of the different reality that I grew up in. What do you want me to go more into it? You know, after this point, basically, there's, there's not much else to say. I, I, I stayed in Russia till about seventh grade. I was recovering from my injuries, you know, and um, I moved to the States in nine, late 98, early 99. And, you know, that's pretty much where my childhood in Russia ended. And, you know, that's my background. I guess that part is done. That's absolutely fascinating. And I, I don't want to thank you for uh, for sharing that. When you got to that was my place, when you first got to America, what was your first thought when, when you got to the States? What was your first thought when you saw everything as it was? Black it people are everywhere. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> and then and then as soon as we get off the plane, couple and I mean, I'm not a racist. This is just the truth. Big experience. Couple of, you know, the security came up and they grabbed me from my mom because I guess we were supposed to be checked. And she flipped because none of us are speaking English. She's flipping out in that room and I'm surrounded and I'm happy as hell because I've never really seen black people like, like, you know, like America. I, I grew up in Russia. You grew up on VHSs. They're all translated by the same guys with the same voice. But man, you learn every American swear because it's hysterical. It'd be like, you'd be like, oh shit, yeah, I think he's dead. And it'd be like, ah, yeah, don't want to And like, you learn English. So I thought I was in the movie, man. I was like, yo, where's uh, the lethal weapon, you know? Clean. So clean. One of the first days, one of the first things is when me and my mom went outside for the first time together, we found a spot behind a store that had a bunch of trash and dirt and broken asphalt. And we sat there for like an hour because we felt like it was home. Just because it was messy, dirty, broken. It felt close to the heart. So the shock was amazing. I mean, the lawns, the green grass, animals. The entire time I've lived in that Europe area, Russia, Belarus, I've seen like two squirrels, maybe. I haven't really seen any other wildlife. I mean, everything's been eaten and hunted because so many of Napoleon, World War One, Two, whatever, no animals. I come to America, holy crap, it's like a zoo. America is so beautiful. People don't realize like Russia is its own beauty. It's an ancient pale beauty of an old woman, man. It's a motherland, but America is gorgeous. I have never seen a place so beautiful. Animals everywhere. You can go fishing. You always catch fish. And there's crawfish and turtles and raccoons and squirrels everywhere. And holy crap. And everything is so clean. And, and you go to the store. We went to the store and we went to the aisle. And I see a big, you know, like a 12 pack of soda, right? And me and my mom like, hey, it's way too much. Probably kidding. You know what I mean? And my father gave us money. So we ripped the box and I took just one can. And I went to pay for it and I didn't know, I didn't, I couldn't understand that you could buy so much soda at once. So here's something really cool. So this made me like king of, you know, like third grade for a minute. When my father appeared in the picture, he sent us this care package once. And it was just, um, what I got out of it is it was like a container full of just regular big pants, you know, just regular like ball pants, you know, just regular, just cheapest pants you can buy. Whole box and probably like cost them five bucks. I don't know. I traded and sold those pens just because they were not a pen, so they were a real pen and it had an American words on it. I mean, I was the king, dude. That pen could buy me a knife or a cool lock with a key or like half a movie ticket. Man, 
I was the richest kid in the school because I had $5 worth of really shitty pants. You know, I, um, I used to work with a guy from Ukraine and he told me one of the first memories he had when he got to the States was the, uh, the soda machines, you know, like the Pepsi machines or the Coca-Cola machines. That was the first shock that he had. It was the soda, the soft drinks that you could walk up and you could put a coin in and all you would have to do is push a button and it would kick out whatever you wanted. You know, growing up with all that, it's it's like that's just commonplace and people don't understand. And and being out, obviously being in different parts of the world, I see it. I, I see it as you're describing, not to the level that you're describing, of course. But over the last 20 years, as you're kind of getting into it, over the last 20 years, you can see a lot of this is trending in that direction. Of Absolutely of where you came from. And and we don't want to go down that road. That's why we started this podcast. We wanted to create a platform, not just for us. Th this is not my platform. It's not Bruce's. It's, it's not uh, anybody else we have on here. This all belongs to us. That's why we created this. We wanted to have exactly these conversations about what we're losing. We're losing our moral society at its base. We're losing our families. We've pretty much lost our governments. Law and order is, is next. I mean, it's you're, everything you're describing is exactly wh where you came from. And I'm, I'm not criticizing that at all. I, and, and you know what? You can neither criticize it nor hate it because it's both what I went through. It's, 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 it's both. It's horrible. But man, there are things that are priceless. I, I understand. My biggest fear is I see that on the horizon if we don't do something and, and reverse this or, or alter course immediately. I see that on the horizon. I see what's going to happen to families. I see what's going to happen to children. I see what's going to happen to whole communities. I see this coming because I, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a history expert. I, I'm I'm nothing of the sort. I'm just a I'm just an amateur when it comes to that stuff. I've read into Soviet history, and you don't read about in history books the things like you're describing. So it's fascinating for someone like me to listen to that. I've read about the Bolshevik Revolution under Lenin. I read about previously under Tsar Nicholas how Russia was on the verge of an amazing democratic reform and democratic change. It was coming. It was coming, and the Bolsheviks swooped in and they seized power. And who supported the Bolsheviks? Who, who collapsed the Roman? And that's a whole and not a black hole, right? It is. But I but know. Please keep uh, going. I'm sorry. Short, no, short story to that. No, short, short answer to that. The money came out of New York. Thank you. Who, who rebuilt Hitler's tank factories after they were accidentally bombed because the contracts were forged? Ford did same, for free. The same, country, the same companies that built them in the first place. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. It's, it's amazing. But back, back to the original point. And we can have that conversation on another day. I'm more than happy to go down that road. But because I, I yeah, I got I, I find the history of, of your, your home country, I find it fascinating. I, I find it fascinating. So I, I would love to have that conversation on, on another day. But I see that that slip into that that realm. I, I see that coming in America. What you described about how you had that money that was in the bank, and then the next day it's gone. It's just gone. And there's nothing. I mean, it's it's gonna be it's going to be the supply chain problem. It's going to be the availability of food problem. It's going to be zero value in your money. The fuel's going to disappear. I mean, I, I see all these things coming. And Okay, well, yeah, go on. Okay, so here are my thoughts. This is my opinion, and I'm speculating. However, what, think, what makes sense to me is the breakaway civilization theory in a, you know, in a dulled down logical kind of real world view. So 
what happens when the separation of wealth is so giant and controlled by so few, the rest of the people become dehumanized. They become objects. I've had a lot of money at some point before. I've seen people act. When you can do anything to a person, you know, outside of killing them, and, and you can get away with it, it's intoxicating. So I believe that the most logical thing that I would do if I was in a position of a person or, or a group of people that have pretty much unlimited resources is I would systematically diminish cognitive ability of the population, child them up, entertain them with cartoons, movies, things that I watched as a child now are watched by adults. Dumb them down, entertain them. Instead of keeping them as civilian population customers, they are no longer customers of the system. They are now parts of the system that are vampirically and parasitically will support the small breakaway cluster of the new society, the high society, which very quickly, and I believe it's happening now, will fold the entire house of cards so that the vast majority will be like, what just happened was screwed. The small minority, which I consider myself off, that are trying to somehow prevent it, get it out, or do something, or stop it, or I don't know, man. And then there's the other people that will rule the class. It's not that people underestimate the intelligence and the professionalism of the true ruling elite and the people that work for them. They are not just five steps ahead, they're 10 steps ahead, and they've been systematically using logarithms and scientific theories to very cleverly betray the population, things like the money theory. So in my opinion, that is what's going on. We are at a point where we're dumped down, lied to, suppressed enough, where they don't even have to try lying anymore, and now they're about to collapse the house. Okay, I, I understand that uh, I understand you're going to have to go, Pavel, and I I want to thank you That's very much for, sure. for being here today. And thank I, I want the last two minutes. I I want to I want to give to you specifically because everything that's happening in in Eastern Europe right now, what's going on in uh, uh, in Ukraine and w with Russia and all that conflict over there. We have listeners in Russia. We have listeners in Ukraine, in Belarus, in Poland, in Germany, in Moldova, in Georgia. In Slovakia, in Moldova. All, all of these countries we have listeners in, what would you say to them right now? Because all of this is on their doorstep and it's in their countries. What would you say to the, the, the people that are in Ukraine right now and in Russia and in the Eastern countries? The responsibility to bring back common sense is not on your children for it is already too late. You have to realize that it's nearly too late for yourself. Promote common sense in every way imaginable to save your parents for that it's already too late for them. Try to save yourself so there's still a chance for your kids. People are smart enough to realize and see this more and more. The issue is the amount of people that will see this in the right amount of time before the game of numbers can be flipped back. I'm not telling you to wake up. I'm not telling you to read books or do anything specific. I'm saying if it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, and quacks like a duck. It's probably not a good president. Thank you. Pavel, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your story. And I really, truly appreciate it. 
and and the listeners appreciate it as well. Uh, and I'm sure Bruce does as well. I would very much like to have you back at a future time uh, if you would be willing to come back. I would love to hear more, uh, yeah. and I would love to have other conversations. Yeah, I'm. I'm. You know, I got time, man. Still, I I just do a lot of push-ups now, you know. And- yep, so do I. Oh. So do I, my friend. V- staying in uh, staying in shape is very important. But um, this platform, Absolutely. this platform, sir, you always have a seat here. Thank you, sir. Thank you guys so very much. God bless you. And I appreciate every second of this. Thank you for this opportunity. I spilled out my heart and you guys are amazing. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a good evening, Pavel. Thank you. Bye-bye. Wow. What did you think of that? That was pretty good. That was pretty good. That was uh, that was something. As that, much yeah. as I've read into into Russian history, I've never heard stories like that. Uh, I, I've heard I have some, not either. But that's uh, that's fascinating. And I, I can't. Is. I can't wait uh, to have him on more often. That's uh, that's quite something. Completely a different view of like I I was just thinking he was he was saying the dates and and I'm thinking 91 man I'm just like what three years old or something like that like yeah. playing with Legos and 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 you know we we've got our own house at that point and uh, you know and then how starkly different the the world is. It, it just the the difference uh, between the world he was describing and the the world we seen here in the United States uh, is just it, it it does as he said it's like Avatar you know the movie it it, it it's a, a completely different uh, growing up as a kid it just I grew up somewhat of a poor family sort of like we were poor and then middle class and then kind of poor and then you know middle class again so. It's kind of, you know, but nothing like even even being poor, it was nothing like that. Nothing like that. Nothing at all. Okay, uh, we're going to go ahead and call this one done. For those of you who would like to send us some feedback, we would love to hear from you. Please do so anytime by sending us an email at dynamicpodcast.protonmail.com. Also, do you like the podcast you're listening to? We do love having you as a listener. And we would humbly ask you to pass this along to five friends. That's all, just five friends. Do you know someone you're trying to wake up? Do you know someone you're trying to get to think on their own? We would appreciate it very much if you would send them our direction. Because if you do, you get to hear more testimonies like what you heard tonight. And I think it's very eye-opening to hear such stories and to see what's coming if we we don't somehow put a stop to this in the very near future. So I want to thank you for being here today, Bruce. Thank you to all of the listeners. Everyone have a great evening.